We're going to pick up in verse 14, and we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 1. We're hitting a very pivotal moment in the book of Jonah. We're hitting a spot that God has highlighted. Yes, Jonah's going to get wet. But there's a lot more that happens in this. And there's a lot more to look at. This is a very pivotal moment, not just for Jonah, but for the sailors, for the captain, for the men who are left behind on the ship. And we're going to get to look at that this morning. But first, I want to give you an illustration. It's been a while since I've given one. Think of a New York Broadway show. Everybody's excited to go see a new show. Doesn't matter what it is, but I'm not a Broadway person, but you know what? It's a good illustration. So you go, you get ready for the show, you're all excited to go, and when you get there, they give you what? They give you a program. Gives you all the information you need about what the show is, what it's about, how it's going to work. But, with that knowledge, you still need revelation. You have knowledge of what the show's about, but until that curtain comes up and you see with your eyes what is there, it's still somewhat of a mystery. So think about it. God has given us his word. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. But we need to keep our eyes open, looking for God to reveal himself in truth in everyday life. We can't be sitting there, read the program, and be satisfied. We need to read the program, but be excited to see what God is doing in front of us. That's the beauty of Revelation, as God reveals himself to you in each and every circumstance, in every different way, in creation around us, in people around us, in our children. How often are our children a good mirror of who we are? Sometimes the things that aggravate you about your kids are because it's something that you struggle with. Very often we find that true. But God uses Revelation in everyday life to reveal more of himself and more of his truth, more of what he's written in here. This is true. Why? Because I see it every day. This is true. Why? Because God reveals more of himself in his word, in our lives, each and every day. Whether it's through creation or circumstance, whether it's through storm and being in the belly of a great fish, whether it's being left behind on the boat and dealing with the aftermath of what just happened. God reveals himself. We need to be looking. And we need to be anticipating. Do we come to Sunday morning service expecting to meet God? Should. Do we come here to worship just because it's our routine and our habit? Or do we come here because we are ready to experience the awesomeness of who our God is? Are we ready to pour out our hearts and our lives before a holy God? Are we willing to be humbled by his word? Because it's very humbling at times. Are we ready to be exalted and rejoice? Because there's much joy in the person of God. We read that this morning. It's very fitting. Psalm 16, especially verse 12. It's very fitting this morning. We find joy at his right hand. He leads us in the path of life. God reveals himself as we seek him. So we need to be ready to do this. Let's not just go to the show, read the program, and say, okay, I'm good, and walk out. Where would that experience leave you? Kind of dry, kind of empty, not quite sure what the whole, how to put the whole picture together. It's easy to read something, but then as you experience it in real life, it starts to make sense. That fabric is woven together to give a better picture. So that's what we're going to see here in the book of Jonah this morning. We're going to look at God's preserving compassion. Because God does preserve his people 
through his compassion. As he has compassion on his people, God offers preservation. So this morning we're going to look in the book of Jonah, and we're going to start in verse 14 in chapter 1. So if you're not there, turn with me there. We're going to read it this morning. Jonah chapter 1, verse 14. Then they called on the Lord, and they said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then the Lord prayed, uh, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. We're going to stop there. So this morning, as I said, we're going to look through this portion of Scripture to see what God has for us. And we're going to look at four specific points. Recognition, action, sacrifice, and an appointment, but also a remembrance. So this morning we're going to start in verse 14 and work our way through and see what does God have for us. God has a very pivotal moment in the lives of these Gentile people. These men are not Jews. They are not Hebrews. They are not of a tribe of Israel. They are technically not God's promised children, correct? But God once again reveals his heart as he did back in the Garden of Eden. Back in Eden, God promised that there would be a seed that would crush the serpent's head. He also promised to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He did not say, your nation will be blessed. He said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Messiah was always intended to come for all mankind. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, always intended to die upon the cross for the sins of the world, not just for Israel. So this morning we're going to look at the beauty of this. In verse 14, we're going to read it again, and it says, And they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So we're going to look at our first point this morning, and that's recognition. There's a lot of recognizing going on in the hearts of these men. You see, the story's kind of stopped with Jonah at this point, and it's picked up with these men's hearts. God has given us a glimpse into these sailors' hearts and their lives of what are they thinking? What is God doing? How is God causing recognition to grow? And he does this. They know that they're helpless in this situation. Verse 13 tells us that. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was ever increasing against them. God had a purpose. They were not going to make it to land without God's purpose being fulfilled first. And they recognized this. They knew they were helpless. They knew there was nothing they could do to get out of this situation. They could not change it on their own strength. They tried. Did they not? Verse 13, they tried desperately to roll back to land, but God did not allow it. Secondly, they recognized God could be called upon. What does it say here in verse 14? They called upon the Lord. They now knew that God was real. He was able to hear them. He was able to see them. He was able to communicate with them. He gave them an instruction from Jonah, right? Toss them into the sea, and the sea will become calm. I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of faith. But these men recognized that God was not just a God of stone, a God of wood, 
a God made in man's image or in the image of the creation itself. He was a God that was in complete control. He has kept them from getting back to land. He has kept the storm moving along to keep them away from where they wanted to go because he had a purpose to fulfill and he had a revelation to give, not just to Jonah, but to these men as well. So God is real. Another revelation. God was sovereign over their lives. Did they not cry out to him? Lord, don't hold his blood against us. These men understood that they, were, they had a very likely possibility to die. Their boat could break up at any moment and go down. Or if they tossed Jonah over, they could be held accountable for Jonah's blood. They knew this, but they called out to a God who was sovereign over their lives and able to pardon. Do you catch that? God was able to pardon, and they cried out for mercy. That's a really interesting spot to get to that point to cry out for God's grace and his mercy. God, only you can give me what I need. And that's where these men are at. They've tried everything in their own strength and power. I can't do it. I cannot grant myself salvation from this storm. And don't forget, sin is a great storm, a black storm in our hearts and in our lives until we surrender to Jesus Christ, until we reach that point of, I can't do it. I have no power in myself to change my circumstances, to take my sin and wipe it away. To take that innocent blood of Jesus Christ that died on the cross for my sins and say, I can pay for that. None of us can do that. And yet God has used his blood to wipe us clean, white as snow. They also recognized that Jonah could no longer run. There was nowhere he was going except for where God intended him to go. And they knew that Jonah needed to be dealt with. Something had to give. They also understood that throwing Jonah overboard very likely meant his death. That's why they said, Lord, don't hold his blood against us. Innocent blood. Because you have done as you have chosen. They know that it was God's will and intention for now for Jonah to be tossed over into the sea. And they knew, you know what? That sea's so bad our boat's going to break up. I guarantee he ain't going to make it we throw him over. I mean, I don't know about you, but even being a good swimmer in a raging sea in a storm that's about to break up a big ship, I don't know. Without a life preserver, I sure, sure ain't going to stick that I'm going to make it. They also understood that God was the judge in all matters. It was God who was judging Jonah's disobedience. It was God who was weighing Jonah's heart. But he was also holding the hearts of these sailors in his hands. Proverbs 16.2 tells us that all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but it is God who weighs the motives of the heart. Also in Proverbs 21.2, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his heart. It is God who is the judge in the situation, and they are calling out to the judge for mercy. Lord, grant us mercy in your sight. Even though we toss this man overboard and he very well will probably die, please do not hold his blood against us. We are seeking to be obedient. Jonah said, God said, throw me overboard to see we'll be calm. They had to do something with that. Also, God was in control of the entire situation. Verse 4 tells us that the Lord hurled the storm. God was in control of the storm. Verse 7, each man set lots to see whose fault this was to blame. God set that in control. God had the lot fall to Jonah. It was Jonah's fault. In verse 13, we see that God continued to keep them away from land. These men now recognize the sovereign hand of God in this situation. Looking back at each of these specific points, God brought the storm. 
God cast the lot to Jonah. God gave them a way out. The men tried in their own desperate attempt to get out one more time. Now they recognize we have to do it God's way. This is a beautiful picture of how God judges us. Is it not? When we disobedient, God will weigh that. Jonah wanted to run away. Jonah didn't want to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Yet, what's happening? God is bringing salvation to Gentiles. Even out of his disobedience, God is bringing about good. God is weighing our hearts. He's weighing our deeds. For hay, wood, or stubble, precious jewels, gold, silver. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us about this. God is weighing what we do. God condemns. God also justifies. God cleanses. God reveals and shows himself, or God withholds that revelation. Don't make mistake. God doesn't always reveal himself to everybody at the same time. God holds and withholds himself in shadow at time. It is God's chance to act when God so chooses. Which leads us to our second point in verse 15. Action. Verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Recognition of the truth requires action. I'm going to say that again. Recognition of the truth requires action. You have to do something with it. You cannot have truth revealed to you and do nothing with it. You can never be complacent. You can never sit on the fence. You can never say, I'll get to it later. You have to do something with truth. That is why God says in Romans 1 that all man is held accountable. Why? Because you have to do something with it. If you refuse to do something with it, you're making the choice of unbelief. I'm not going to do anything with God, therefore I'll put him aside on the shelf. That's doing something. That's making a choice. That's making an action. I choose to be of hard heart. Or I choose to surrender. These men had a choice. They recognized the truth of who God was now, to a degree. They recognized that Jonah was a prophet, and that Jonah gave them the word of God, toss him into the sea. They had to do something with that. Now they took Jonah, they tossed him into the sea. What happened? The sea became calm. It stopped. It's raging. These men found themselves no longer in the middle of the worst storm, but in a calm, peaceful place. You have to do something with truth. All of us do. We must act upon it. We must wrestle with it, though we all must do something with it. Not only that, faith must motivate our actions. We're either motivated by faith or we're motivated by unbelief. Romans 14 is a great chapter. It's talking about food sacrifice to idols and not causing your brother to stumble. But it's talking about faith. Anything, in the end of verse 23, it says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Do we walk in faith? Do we walk in truth? Are we living in the light of God's word? Do we do all things because this is what God has required? Challenge. In faith accompanying our actions, any sinful action, any sinful thought, any sinful intent of the heart, any sinful choice we have is what? It's born out of unbelief. We don't believe that God's way is best. We don't believe that what God has said is necessarily true in this situation. That's where unbelief finds a hole. That's where it starts pulling at our hearts. When I make a sinful choice, it's not because I think God is good with that. 
It's not because I think God would bless it. It's because I've decided that I no longer want to follow what God says and I want to go after this because in my flesh and in my pride, I think I know better. Do we know better than the man and the God who is called wisdom? He's not called just the author of wisdom. He is wisdom. He defines wisdom. That is where we wrestle so often in our lives. Do we submit to God's wisdom or we try to make up our own way? These men had to do something with the truth that they were confronted with. Continue to try in vain on their own? Or do we pick Jonah up, toss him in the sea, and expect God to judge righteously? They had to follow an action. They had to choose an action. They had to do it in faith. Faith said, if I believe what God says, and this God has made himself very real, he's made this storm very real in their lives. If I follow what he says, he'll be faithful to relent. That was the direction that they chose to go. And what do we see at the end of 15? The sea stopped. It's raging. God relented. God pulled back. And God brought peace. Is that not also the picture of our salvation? We wrestle in the midst of the storm of sin. And when Christ entered our lives, what do we get? Peace. Why? Because we are at peace with God. We are no longer enemies of God. We no longer are in hatred with our God. We are no longer guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been washed by it. God brings peace to his children. These men experienced a physical peace. Might look something like today. Bright blue skies, calm, beautiful glassy seas. We don't know, but we know that it was calm. We know that these men were no longer in fear for their life because God brought peace. They acted in their faith, belief that God was real and that what God told Jonah to tell them was real and true. Toss him overboard. They acted on the belief that God would be a fair judge and not hold them accountable for Jonah's blood. They acted in the belief that God could calm the storm, that God was able to do that. As God was able to bring the storm along, if they acted in faith, God was able to calm that storm, and God did. They also had to believe that what Jonah told them about God was true. Jonah brought revelation. Whether he meant to or not, Jonah brought revelation of who the God of Israel was, who the true God of all creation was. What did he tell them? He, I worship and fear the God who made the sea and the land. Jonah was delivering truth in his testimony of just of who he was. These men picked up on these things. These men grabbed a hold of these things. And what was it that the captain asked? Call out to your God for perhaps he is concerned they realized God was concerned. God was concerned with them, not just his wayward prophet. They stepped out in faith, and God blessed them for it. God revealed himself as someone who is real, trustworthy, compassionate, powerful, awesome. A lot of times we forget that our God is a great and mighty king awesome in splendor and majesty. So often we attribute to a president or to somebody that holds a higher station to us, a reverence for their position. And yet how often do we forget that our God holds a greater position than any man on earth? Do we reverence God as we should? God is compassionate, merciful, concerned for our lives. What do you think the impact for these sailors would be when they find out that Jonah actually didn't die? Think about that. How often we skip over that part? We get to, okay, Jonah's in the great fish. He prays. God has the fish puke him up on the land, which is another interesting fact. Didn't puke him up in the middle of the sea. Brought him back to dry land. But 
How many times do we think about, now that we've gone past the sailors, Jonah's out of that ship, he's in the belly of the great fish, gets up on dry land, and then he goes to Nineveh. Do you not think that these sailors heard that Jonah was alive and that Jonah was actually going where God intended him to go? What impact would that have on them? Not only do they act in faith and see the real peace and calming of the storm, but now they see that God was able to sustain Jonah through something they never thought he would survive. And then that Jonah is now over there doing what God intended him to do, which he ran away from in the beginning, which was why they were in that circumstance. But it's neat to think about that. These men heard Jonah's alive. Jonah's still preaching the word of God. Jonah is bringing the word of God to others like ourselves. These Gentile men were not alone. The Hebrew nation was a very small percentage of the population. Most of the world was Gentile. These men had a chance to see the compassion of a God who loved them and was concerned for them. Verse 16 will be our third point this morning, sacrifice. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Fear and reverence is key and foundational for any believer. Do you get that? Fear, not I'm terrified. Fear is another word for reverence. To continue to reverence a God who is holy, who is perfect, in whose presence we cannot stand, except saved by the blood of Christ alone. The picture of Moses being hidden in the cleft of the rock is a great illustration for us. We cannot stand in the presence of a holy God, and yet it is in this God's presence that we do stand in Christ, that we have access to the throne of grace, as the author of Hebrews tells us. God deserves our reverence. He also commands it. He requires it of us. We are to reverence him. He brings wisdom. He also defined that man's fear and reverence of him is the beginning of wisdom. Why? When you have reverence for something, what do you do with it? You cherish it? Take care of it? Tell others about it? Usually when you got something that's really neat, that you really prize and value highly, usually you don't keep it to yourself and not tell anybody. Usually somebody else knows about it. Usually when you talk about it, what? You get emotional. You get excited, right? We don't just put it over there on the shelf and once in a while take it out, look at it, and hide it again. We share it. When we have reverence for God, it brings wisdom. Why? Because we love the Lord who reveals himself to us and we tell others of Christ. That's wisdom. Discipleship is wisdom. Teaching others that they do not have an eternity to live on this earth and make a choice. God is coming. God will come and judge. We read that this morning in Revelation. Another picture of those who continue to have their hearts hardened over and over again. We look at that and we're like, man, how can they do that? Well, we had the plagues in Egypt when Israel was brought out of Egypt, right? Did Pharaoh unharden his heart? No. But do we? No, except for this grace of Jesus Christ alone. God reveals himself to us. We have to do something with that. Proverbs 1, seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Praise the Lord that we're not foolish. He's given us instruction and wisdom, and we're following it. That's what church is about. Helping each other follow the wisdom of the word. Helping each other, living life on a daily basis, rubbing shoulders and elbows, loving one another well. 
and teaching each other, right? We all have something to learn. I don't have all the answers. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Do I look for them? Yes. But I don't have all the answers. Lord knows I don't. But you know what? There's other people here that have answers to questions I may have. God has put you here for that purpose, to encourage, to admonish, to sharpen one another. What does Proverbs 27, 17 say? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, when you sharpen a knife, is it an easy process? No, it's abrasive, right? That's the point. A harder substance sharpening one that is not quite as hard. Puts an edge on it, right? Makes that knife useful. That's what we are to do with one another. And it's not always easy to accept a rebuke. Or it's not always easy to accept instruction from one another. But that's the purpose of fellowship of learning from one another, growing and being sharpened, and being made more in the image of our Savior. Psalm 111.10 says, Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have all of those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Once again, fear and instruction and wisdom is key for growth. You cannot grow as a Christian if you do not fear the Lord your God. It's the beginning of wisdom. Those who have understanding do what God commands. That's what the scripture says. But also fear and reverence is not only something that's key and foundational. It also has great purpose. God uses it as a tool. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. God promises long life, right? Maybe not just here, but eternity is a long time. I don't know about you, but my mind don't go very far in the future until it goes, I don't get it anymore. You can only go so far. But here's another purpose. Deuteronomy 4.10 says this, Remember the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people before me, that I may let them hear my words. And here's the purpose. So they may learn to fear me all the days they live on this earth and that they may teach them to their children. Catch that? What's the purpose of reverence for God? To fear the Lord their God, to do as he says, and to teach them to your children. What blessings come out of that? Long life? Not always in this earth, but long life in the scope of eternity. Life here is short. Even if you live 120 years, life here is short. And the scope of eternity is a blink of an eye. And how often we forget that. Because a year for us is long. But, I know you older people can attest to it. Life, a year for you, isn't quite as long as it used to be. I know when I was a kid in school, life, a year was a long time. Now I look at it and I blink and another year has gone by. My kids, now they're getting a little bit older. They're like, oh man, you've got another year. It's like, y'all have nothing to even talk about. But that's the perspective. God eternal has a different perspective on life. He says our life is like a vapor. It's quick. It's here. It's gone. It's like a flower that blooms and withers. It's quick. Do we seek God for wisdom? Do we sacrifice our hearts and our lives to seek our Lord? These men were standing in awe of what God had accomplished. They've seen a lot in a short period of time. And despite the difficulties that they endured due to Jonah's disobedience, they found a true and living and holy God. 
Then these men says they made a vow. They made a vow to worship God. They made a vow to continue in God's ways. They gained a very tangible salvation, both physically and spiritually. They met God in a very real way. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 warns us in the wisdom of Solomon to be careful to how you vow, how you bring your words before the Lord. Be careful to do them. To not have God displeased at the words of your mouth. Deuteronomy 22 says this, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in paying it, for it will be sin to you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it should not be sin to you. For you shall be careful to perform what goes out of your lips. Why? For just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. What you promise, you pay up. God will hold you accountable for the words of your mouth. How often we let our tongues run loose. This leads us to our last point. Verses 17 and chapter 2 verse 1. And it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. My fourth point here is appointment and remembrance. God appointed. And we're going to see this theme throughout the book of Jonah as we continue along. That word, God appointed. He did it multiple times in the book of Jonah. It's a short book. But it's something we need to catch on to because God appoints the things in our lives. The things in our lives are not for naught. They're not for just... They happen by chance. God appoints for a purpose. As in Job, chapters 13 to, uh, 38 to 41, God demonstrates his great ability over his creation. Were you there? When they're hungry, who feeds them? The Lord. Over and over throughout that book. It's a beautiful book, but the revelation of God in the intimacy with his creation is displayed. Also, Daniel. God had power over the mouths of the lions. They did not touch Daniel. Not a mark was on him. And yet what happens when the king threw the rest of the the wicked people in there? Their bones were crushed before they even hit the bottom. How about Balaam? We all know about that. We have an animal that's considered pretty stupid, a donkey. And yet God used a donkey to rebuke the madness of a prophet. God has demonstrated the power over his creation multiple times. And God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jesus would later on in Matthew 12 talk about this. The sign of Jonah. And he says this, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said unto him, Teacher, we want a sign from you. But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will also rise up with this generation and judge and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. We know that. God said it. We believe it. It's recorded in history for us. Jesus Christ spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. But he's not there. Just like Jonah, God appointed that time. But God also appointed the time for him to come up 
He was resurrected. Let's not be unrepentant in our hearts. Let's not miss the wisdom of God. What does it say here? It said the people of Nineveh would stand up and condemn the Pharisees. Why? Because something greater than Jonah was there and they refused to repent. When they had revelation, they refused action. When they had revelation, they refused sacrifice and worship. And something greater than Jonah was there. Solomon was known for his great wisdom. A lot of great folly too, but great wisdom. People sought him out for his wisdom. And yet something greater than Solomon was there. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we seek him out for his wisdom? Another interesting thing is, it took three days and three nights for Jonah to cry out. It wasn't quick. As soon as he was in the belly of that great fish, he didn't say, Lord, save me. Mm -mm. He had three days and three nights. Don't know what he did with it. But he had that time, and it took a long time. And are we not also stubborn in our hearts? We can be in the midst of one of the greatest trials of our life and still miss the act of, I need to call out to the Lord and remember. Remember God's promises. Remember who he is. Remember who I am in light of who he is. But the great thing is, he was able to physically cry out and pray after three days and three nights. It's amazing. A lot had to have happened in there. Don't know. I bet you it was kind of dark. I don't know about y'all, but some people are scared of the dark. I got two girls in my house that are terrified of the dark. Also confined spaces. I'm sure it's not like the cartoons where he's got this whole monstrous cavern and got a little island in the middle of this great fish. I'm sure it's kind of probably pretty squished. And yet, out of all this, he was still able physically and mentally and spiritually to cry out to his God and to call out for God's mercy. But Jonah worshipped when he called out to his God. But we'll get to that. Jonah also realized there's nowhere to run. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a more remote place to go than the belly of a great fish in the bottom of the sea. Yeah, probably stinky too, wasn't it? But how much farther can you go from God than to go to the base of the, and the roots of the mountain? Down where most of us have never seen and never probably will see what the bottom of the ocean looks like down in the great depths. But even here, Jonah realized, I cannot run from God. That was a great promise, isn't it? That we can never go far enough away to leave the presence of our God. Even here, in the stomach of this great fish, Jonah was in the presence of the living God. Praise God that he causes us to remember. Praise God that unlike Pharaoh, he doesn't harden our hearts to turn away when he gives us great signs. But as with these men, let us seek to worship our God. Let us seek to reverence and fear our God properly as we should. And let us do it together to encourage one another to that end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you that you have made it, that you have ordained it to be, and because of that, it is. Father, we thank you so much that you have caused us to see the revelation of who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. In your word, you've given us understanding by your spirit that we are not left to the intellect and the mind alone to understand it, but your spirit intercedes on our behalf. And even on those moments when we do not know what to cry out, Lord, your spirit cries out for us. 
And you have told us that we can call you Abba, Father. And we thank you for that intimacy that we share with you. Father, may we not squander that opportunity. May we be faithful to share that with our children, with our spouses, with those we rub shoulders with, with those who do not know you, for those who are lost, for those who may be in the belly of a storm. Father, may we give them hope and encouragement and may we witness to you who are the creator and sustainer of all life and of all things and that you are able to save from the storm of sin. Father, we just pray that we will take what we've heard this morning, that we will digest it, that we will think upon it, that we will pray upon it, and that we will continue to seek you, Father. And just pray and help us to not be a heart of heart. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a spirit willing to move towards Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.